you know, Moses takes the, the people of Israel out of Egypt and, and leads them uh, into the desert, which uh, goes, like, pseudo well, I guess. Like, it's not what they were expecting. Like, no one was like, yeah, we're going to, like, walk out of here and it's going to be awesome. Like, they didn't think they were going to end up in a desert for 40 years, but they did. But they got to see some really cool things. And up to this point, they got to see, like, manna, like, heaven bread show up, fall from the sky. Quail was just, like, dying left and right around them, and they were eating quail. Um, they got to, like, they were thirsty, and God gave them water to drink. Um, and so they've seen God do some really, really cool things as, like, a provider and as sort of their leader. They're, like, following around this, like, giant pillar of fire, and they're like, that's God. And th that was probably pretty obvious to them. Um, but then something horrible happens. Um, and so that's what we're going to look at today. So we are going to look at um, Exodus 17, if you're, if you're following along, which I think you should. Like, you definitely shouldn't take my word for it, that, like, these are actually from the Bible when we put, like, Scripture up here. Because, um, I don't know, I wouldn't do it to you. I wouldn't, like, actually, like, switch it out and be like, surprise, this isn't in the Bible. Um, but somebody could. So, uh, yeah, we're looking at uh, Exodus 17, 8 through 15. Um, and I'm going to read the whole thing. If you want to follow along, follow along. If you want to close your eyes and listen, great. Like any way that you can actually like absorb information is probably the best way to do this um, because then we're going to go back through and kind of look at this story piece by piece. So, um, again, this is the, the Israelites are like traveling around in this huge caravan, basically, um, where they have livestock and like people of every age and they're like kind of like following this giant pillar around, and it's, and it's a wild time. It says, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow, I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands... The Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, he took a stone and he put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on the scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the memory of the Amalekites from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, For hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Um, right there in verse 15 where it says, The Lord is my banner. That's what we're looking at today. Uh, the name of God that kind of we've translated to the Lord is my banner there is uh, Jehovah Nisi which probably doesn't mean a whole lot to you and that's okay because um, that's what we're going to spend the rest of today talking about is the Lord as our banner so let's take a look at this story um, kind of as like his, a historical battle but also as um, something that God was like doing to show his people how the kingdom that he's establishing works um, and we need to watch what God is doing as he does that because it's going to show us um, kind of like him revealing himself, but then him also revealing to his people like how they interact with each other and with him and become 
this kingdom. And if, and if you read the Bible from like the beginning to the end, this is going to be the thread that follows the entire time is that God is establishing a kingdom where he is king and we are the people in his kingdom. And we've got a place in his kingdom and we have purpose in his kingdom um, and his son has a big purpose in this kingdom. Um, and so we see uh, the Israelites leave Egypt and they're headed towards a place called uh, Rephidim, which is a desert oasis. It is the only place uh, of, of refuge and of water for a pretty like large distance, um, which is a good thing for the Israelites, but it's a dangerous journey because other people are, are there, and those are the Amalekites. And the way, so th this is the first time that we ever see God's people told to, like, fight. We don't really see any, like, battles of the Israelites until now. And so it, it's an interesting one because it starts out in a place where, like, there's really, like, no other choice. It's not like God was like, just go kill those people. Um, if you go to Exodus uh, 17, there's like a, oh, I'm sorry, we're in Exodus. If you go to Deuteronomy 25, um, <clears throat> we get a, like a clearer picture of what the Amalekites are really doing here. This is, Amal this is um, uh, Deuteronomy uh, 25, 17, and 18. It says, remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey, and they cut off all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. This wasn't like a fair like battle. It wasn't like the Amalekites stood on one end, and they were like, we would like to fight you. And then they were like, okay, cool, let us prepare. Um, it was an ambush of the back of this line of like hundreds of thousands of people. And so you can imagine who's in the back of the line. It's livestock, which is their food. Um, it's elderly people. It's the people that are taking care of elderly people and maybe like even like children. So this was an ambush from like a dark force. Like this isn't just like people that are like, hey, you're in our land. This is an open desert and an ambush. And God is not a fan of this. And he's like, hey, you got to do something about this. So Moses decides um, that they have to fight. And again, Moses is the mouthpiece of God to his people. He's constantly telling Moses like what to do. Moses is constantly spending time talking to God and interacting with him <clears throat> like face to face at times or close to it. And so um, he decides they need to fight. And so he pulls in Joshua and Joshua is the commander of, of their army. And at this point like they're like kind of an army. Like they have men and they have weapons. Like they definitely were able to bring stuff with them. They probably weren't great weapons. Um, but they, it's not like they were just like farmers and pitchforks. They were like one level above farmers and pitchforks. They had like sharper pitchforks. Um, and he says that they need to fight. But the really important thing here is that the only thing that they, it, it wasn't the only thing that Moses decided to do. Moses wasn't just like, we're just going to fight. Like, I think God's got us covered. We're just going to fight. He chose to do something like really I don't know, kind of strange. Like, wouldn't you think that he would be like, okay, every person that is capable of holding, like, a sword or a spear should be fighting. He's like, no, I'm going to take, like, me and, like, some of my best friends, and we are going to go to the top of this hill, and we're going to raise our hands. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know how I missed this, like, growing up. Like, I heard this story growing up that, like, it was sort of this thing. It's like, we're winning, we're losing, we're winning, we're losing. Like, every time, like, Moses' hands went up, they were winning. It, and it seemed like magic to me, but it's, it's, it's not magic. It's prayer. Like Moses is reaching out to the Lord and saying like, 
you, like, you are our only hope. You are what we are putting our faith in. I sent our best guys out there. Joshua's down there. That dude is crazy. You should read about Joshua. That guy was wild. Um, and then, and I don't know about you, but, like, there are times in my life where, like, I pray and I pray and I pray, and then I'm like, all right, I'm done. The moment that he was done, things got, like, they, they went wrong. Like, people on the Israelite side started dying. And I don't know, like, what this looks like from, like, a, on top of a hill. Like, if this battle line is shifting or, like, people just start, like, falling. But, like, he realized very quickly that he had to keep praying. And he's got these two guys next to him that are, that are with him. And they're like, man, yeah, you just got to keep doing this. And so they put a rock underneath him. They give him a place to sit. And they hold his arms up. And this is not, like, the main point of the story or anything, but, like, side note, do you have friends like this? Like, we should all have friends like this, people that will stand next to you and hold your arms up uh, and plead to the Lord for the things that, that we want to see happen in his kingdom. Like, if we truly want his kingdom to come and we are out here with our hands raised up to God, we should definitely have some people that are backing us up in that. That's just a side note. I want friends like that. We all should have friends like that. And so they hold his arms up, and then this really cool, like, story about, like, who God is and, like, how, like, cool, like, brotherly, like, love of each other and all this stuff, like, kind of combined to this really cool story. The Israelites win, and the Amalekites turn tail and run off. Um, and in his excitement for what the Lord has done, Moses turns around and, and he does something here. He, uh, he builds an altar, right, which is a place where we, you know, where his people would worship the Lord, right? And, and it's like a monument, and there's just kind of this excitement about God. And this takes a while. It's not like it was like we built an altar. Like this is a thing that like took time. He put these stones together and built up an altar, and he called that altar this name of God, this name of God that had been revealed to him by God himself. The Lord is my banner. <clears throat> so in order to really understand, like, what, like, the significance of this, because, like, that's kind of cool. Like, when I think of banners, I think of, um, I don't know, like, little American flags, like the little tiny ones that they hand out at, like, Lowe's on the 4th of July. Um, I think of, like, those, like, I don't know, like, things that they hang over top of, like, a race that says, like, turkey trot. Um, but the but God is definitely not saying he is a turkey trot banner. So we got to figure out what he's talking about here. Um, and so I did a, a lot of, of research into like really what a banner actually signifies historically, not only in Jesus' time, but like really for all time, because we've used banners to do some like really important things. Um, or sorry, not in Jesus' time, but Moses' time, like even before this. Um, but a banner uh, would would hold a lot of significance for people. Um, and Moses saying that the Lord is their banner is a really big deal. Um, a banner held so, sort of like the sigil or um, the like livery, right? Like the, the symbol that represented a group of people. And you would fly that over your troops or over your, you know, your stronghold or like whatever you have. And it would signify to people like who you were and what you represented. And these like, these sigils, these banners would gain reputation, right? Like you would show up to a certain place and be like, whoa, I am not going over there because I know who lives there. I know that banner. That banner means bad things for me. 
or that banner means that this is a safe place and we can show up here. These are our friends. Um, and these banners would, would gain reputation and they would have power because of who was behind them um, and, and who that banner kind of flew over top of. And so if we look at this and we're, we're thinking to ourselves and we have to constantly remind ourselves that, this, that God is showing us through saying, you know, I am your banner. We're seeing who he is and how his kingdom is supposed to interact with each other and with him. Um, and I'm really going to try to do this succinctly, but um, I even like boil it down to like three things, which is like not usually how I do stuff. It's been fun. One, um, if God is our banner, then we know who we're fighting for. Like that's saying who we fight for. And if you know Moses is standing on the top of a hill and he's holding his hands up as with showing that God is his banner. Right? That prayer is his banner. That reaching out to the Lord and turning over everything to God and saying, you're actually in control of this. Then that's saying that God is there. Fighting that fight, doing things, and responding. And it's obvious, right? Because the, the tide turns every time that he, um, that he you know, puts his hands down. If God is our banner, when God is flying above us, we are protected, we are covered, and we are his. And so, you know, this is saying, like, this has to be us. Like, we have to have God as our banner if we want to live in that protection um, and go forward um, in that. But it also says that he's our reputation, that he is, um, you know, what goes before us, not just in the battle, but when we start marching forward and people see us out in the world, we would be recognized not by the strength that we have in ourselves, not by, like, a scary, like, I don't know, like, mine would probably be, like, a cool-looking, like, scary pumpkin or something. Um, I don't know why, but by who God is, that he would be the one that goes before us and, and that we are putting him up as our representation. And that's a big deal, especially today, because there are really, like, weird ways to do that. Like, there are really, like, poor ways to, like, hold up God as our representation, like bumper stickers. Um, and then there are, like, very real ways to say that, like, my life and everything that I do is rooted in the fact that I'm going to hold God up above everything. Um, but we'll get there because this is about this part's about kind of who God is, not who, not how we respond. Uh, another thing that banners were were used for was signaling, like showing people within the chaos of battle what was going on uh, and where to go. Uh, medieval battles, battles that were done in hand-to-hand -hand combat using metal weapons, were insanely loud. I'd never really thought of this, but I was reading these accounts from like French and like Spanish knights where they would hear the like clang of battle from miles away. And it would just be this like roar of like smashing like swords against shields and screaming and battle cries and horns and drums. And it was loud. And there was no way to communicate with each other, um, especially like audially. There was no way to like announce anything. And so they used these banners, the same banners that they marched in front, of, uh, in front of their troops. They would lift up, and they would say, this is where you need to go. And that's God, right? In the chaos of the world, in the chaos of what we have going on around us, we have to have this, like, central rallying point. We have to have a point where, where we're in this, like, kind of crazy turned around, like, world, and we have, a, have to have a thing that we can look at and say, like, this is my true north. Like, this is where I'm supposed to be. And it brings us back together. That would be when the citadel got raised up, when a banner was raised in the middle of the battlefield, you knew where to go, and you would start working your way in that direction, and you would finally have your brothers, like, beside you and with you and ready to fight. 
And that's who God is. God is the thing that we look to and so that we know truly where we are. And we have something to centralize ourselves on um, and, and really be able to like come back to that, that reality. Uh, and then the last thing that a, that a banner kind of did that I thought was just so cool um, is that the banner is the morale booster. And you can imagine, like, fighting this fight down below this hillside that Moses was on and looking up to see him raise his hands, right? Like, you can imagine being a soldier in a battle and you think you're losing and things are not going well and there is chaos around you and there is death around you and then the hill that you're trying to take all of a sudden is emblazoned with the colors of your king. That's a big deal when we can, when we can finally, and then, because then you're emboldened to push forward, to take the hill with the rest of your, your team, because it's already been done for you. It's already been won for you. And if we can look forward to Jesus, we can say the battle's already won. The hill's already been taken. Our banner is flying on the hill that we're trying to take. We just have to finish it out. We just have to make our way towards the bottom of the hill. Um, the Lord is our banner, and he gives us the strength to keep going. He gives us hope, like real biblical hope, not like cheap um, like desperation or, or like positive thinking, like real hope that is in a person, uh, and that's the person of Jesus. Um, and this gives us sort of a, a role to play in the kingdom as well, as well, right? Like we get to see who God is as our banner. Um, but then, because God is our banner, we get to react in a certain way and live in a certain way. And, and part of that is, is that hope that we get. And, and, um, but I, I do want you to see this, because this is mind-blowing to me. This is the kind of stuff I, didn't, I don't understand why people didn't teach me earlier. But um, the leader of God's, of God's army here is Joshua, right, um, whose name, um, at the, like, before we, I don't know, changed it a million times, is Yeshua. Um, and Yeshua was the leader of God's armies, and Moses turned it over to him. He was like, hey, you're in charge of this battle. I'm going to reach out to the Lord. Well, fast forward um, to a town um, called Bethlehem where a baby is born, and his name is Yeshua. And it can't be a coincidence here that, that Jesus Christ, the one who fights for, fights for us, fights our battles, um, and, and wins and is victorious for us, goes before us, and we are left back to the top of the hill to raise our banner and to, to pray to the Lord and say, hey, like, you've got this covered. I'm going to trust you with this. I'm, I'm just going to stay here and, and hold my hands up, and my buddies are going to help me do that because my arm's got weak. It's our job to sit back, to reach out to the Lord and say, you fight for me. I don't have to fight this on my own. I don't have to try to, like, come up with this crazy strategy. It's, it's on you. So, um, we lift up God to fight for us. Page turn. Um, also, our response to a threat should be that of Moses. To immediately, like, turn to our friends, to the people that we know, like, understand who God is, to pull them in and say, like, hey, this is our problem. We're going to raise our banner. We're going to lift up our hands to the Lord. We've got to come together and do this. We try to do a lot of things alone, like weirdly. Um, we come from a culture that says, like, you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps. That's actually, like, a total misnomer. Like, you actually can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Like, if you're laying on the ground and you pull on your boots, you won't be able to sit up. It doesn't work that way. Um, 
but we as a society think that we should be able to do these things on our own and be able to kind of fight and, and kind of work our way through so that we don't have to become vulnerable in life and open up to people around us. But that's not what Moses does. He grabs his friends and he's like, we have a problem and we're going to fix it in this really unconventional way. We're going to let God take care of it. Um, the importance of God as our banner kind of like trickles down to us, right? Part of it is just knowing, like knowing that God is what goes before us and flies above us, protects us, and ultimately shows people like who we represent. It trickles down to us where we have a, a role to play in that, where we um, pick up that banner and carry it around. And here's the craziest thing to me. So looking through um, all the history of like people that were chosen to carry a banner, it wasn't like the weakling. It wasn't like, hey, you're pretty bad with a sword, so can you just carry this flag around? They would choose the gnarliest guys to do this, the ones that had no fear, the ones that would do anything to hold that thing up, because if that thing fell, it would be chaos. The battle would become every man for himself at that point. You wouldn't know who was who, you wouldn't know where to go, and you wouldn't know who, really who you're fighting for at that point. You could just choose. So they would choose somebody who was outrageously courageous, someone who would not stop at anything. And there's this, um, well, one, and I'll kind of side note here, if you don't think that you're in some kind of war, um, you're, you're mistaken. You might think, and maybe even too much, you might think that you're in some sort of battle and you need to like fight things that might not be the case, but like we are in a battle, right? Like Ephesians 6, that's not Ephesians. Ephesians 6 tells us, um, your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Like we have a battle in front of us. There is crazy stuff going all around us um, and there are people that need us, right? people would be chosen to carry these, these banners based off of um, extreme courage. Uh, there's a story um, from the 1500s of a French, um, it's kind of the memoirs of a, of a French knight who was walking through the aftermath of a battle. Um, and he was amazed to find a soldier, and this is a little graphic, but to find a soldier who had, had both of his arms cut off and was still holding the flag in his teeth. And that was for France. That's not for God. That was for France. That's gotta call, that's gotta like pull on your heart to say like, how do I carry this banner? Like how do I lift up the Lord? How do I run into the chaos of the world with my arms cut off? Because at all costs, the most important thing to me in the whole world is remaining steadfast and holding this banner up so that the Lord would be raised up above the chaos of the world. The Lord is our banner, Jehovah Nisi. I encourage you to look into that more, right? Like I just kind of dusted the surface of this, but look into who God is and who that calls uh, us to be as well. Let's pray. Lord, you are our banner. You uh, go before us um, and you stand over top of us. You are our protection. 
um, and you are our rallying point. And Lord, I just ask that you would show us uh, in, a, in a real way in our daily lives um, what it looks like to truly fly you as our banner. Lord, I would pray against uh, the, the fake versions of this, Lord, against just dumb bumper stickers or Facebook arguments, Lord, and that we would truly, truly um, hold you above our households, above our, our jobs, um, and our lives as a whole. Lord, we love that you love us and that you revealed yourself to us in so many ways that there are so many different names that you have shown us of who you are and how you care for us um, and how your kingdom is supposed to work here on earth. And we, Lord, and Lord, we pray, um, as you taught us, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done, um, that our world would look more and more like the kingdom of heaven every day. Amen.